Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. On today's episode, we're sharing with you a sermon that I preached for the Good Lion School of Discipleship out here in Yukon, Oklahoma. This was one of the opening messages of the semester, and we talked about servanthood, specifically the character of Jesus in servanthood, how Jesus leads by serving, how he models for us ways to serve others, and the deep insights that the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples teach us about what it means to serve others. I hope it blesses you. I hope it encourages you. We're going to dive right into the episode, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. The gospel is the hope of the world, and the world needs more gospel-centered churches. That's why Cultivate by CGN exists. I'm Clay Worrell, Executive Director of CGN, and I'm here with my friend, Pastor Nick Cady. We want to take a moment to let you know about the Cultivate Church Planter Training Program. Cultivate has created the infrastructure to support the planting of 1,000 new churches in the next decades, starting in 2023. We follow in the footsteps of renowned church planters in the Calvary Chapel movement, embracing and adopting their rich heritage of church planting in order to transmit our values, theology, and philosophy of ministry to this generation and for those to come. You know, as church planters ourselves, we understand that planting a church is not an easy task, but we believe it's an essential one. That's why we've created a range of resources to help you and your team prepare for the journey ahead. Our resources are personal, practical, and pastoral. Our program is from six to 24 months and is designed to equip you to lead a gospel-centered community wherever God has called you around the world. We also have a global team of mentors and coaches with thousands of hours of experience planting and pastoring churches, and they're ready to support you in the training phase, the launch phase, and in the post-launch phase of planting a church. With our guidance and support, you can feel confident in your ability to engage the world for Christ. Are you ready to answer the call of church planting? Together we can make a difference and bring the hope of the gospel to communities around the world. If you're ready to take the next step Steps and learn more about our church planting program, we invite you to visit our website at cultivatechurchplanting.com. Let me ask you guys this. If I were to say to you these words, play basketball, how many of you guys feel like you could decently do it? Anybody? Like a pickup game. Okay. Now, feel a little bit more confident. Yeah. Little pickup game, game of horse around the world. Well, let me ask you this. What if I said, play basketball like Kobe Bryant? <laughs> yeah, you think you could do it? Got a few hands, right? Um, if I were to say, hey, I want you to look like Chris Hemsworth. Most of the girls in the room are like, there's a problem here. There's a very specific reason why that's not gonna work for me. Um, and then what if I were to say, hey, sing like Taylor Swift. Uh, maybe Thembi. But most of us, uh, probably not. Tembi. Okay, Tembi. <laughs> hey, there you go. Um, so, yes, we cannot play basketball like Kobe Bryant. We cannot look like Chris Hemsworth. We cannot sing like Taylor Swift. But what about serving like Jesus? Like, when you hear that off the bat, what's your initial reaction? Does it sound easy? No? Yeah, it doesn't. Because Jesus is the man. Like, Jesus is the greatest servant out there. Like, he, he is the suffering servant who literally died on a cross for us. And, but here's the thing. Like, Kobe can't give us the basketball skills. Chris Hemsworth can't give you his looks. Taylor can't give you her voice. But Jesus can give you his spirit. Jesus can empower you to live like him. This isn't as hard as it actually seems because of the Holy Spirit. The goal of the Christian life, one of the biggest goals of the Christian life, is that by being with Jesus, through the inner working of the Spirit, what is true of Jesus becomes true of you. Is it true that Jesus is an amazing servant? Yes, absolutely. And so one of Jesus' goals for you is that it would become true that you also are an amazing servant through the working of his Spirit. Today we're going to look at three passages that will help us with some simple directives of how we can follow his example and serve the way Jesus did. And so let's start with John chapter 13. If you guys want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 13. And this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the story of Jesus washing the feet 
of his disciples. And really this story is about Jesus the king who makes himself a servant and really models for us what servanthood looks like. I'm gonna read it, John chapter 13, verses one through five. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his father, he loved his disciples to the end. And so the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already incited Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And so Jesus got up, verse four, from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is such an epic story, like just this amazing, beautiful moment where you have the rabbi, the teacher, and the king. It says that he is looking at his disciples. He knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows that his life is about to end. And he's looking at these 12, and he's like, I love these guys. Like, I have loved them to the end. These are my people. And so he takes off his robe and girds around himself, and he pulls out this water basin, and he starts washing feet. Now, the first thing to notice in the story is that Jesus goes for the lowest job. Does the like, idea, does the picture of dirty, muddy feet make anybody uncomfortable? No, <laughs> he's just shaking his head vigorously, no. It does me, like I hate when I get anything stuck between my toes. The idea of like walking out in the ancient Near East, in the mud, animal droppings all around, like their feet were probably so nasty. It's this offensive job that was meant for a servant, like not meant for a king. The king should not be washing people's feet. And yet what does Jesus do? He washes the feet. That's, that's not what a king does. What does a king do? A king makes a speech, gives a command, but Jesus goes for the servant's job. Like the thing that the, the servant should have been doing, Jesus goes out of his way to do it for others. This is so against our nature. We tend to show up to work at our jobs. And I know from talking to some of you guys tonight, I know some of you guys here do not enjoy your jobs. We tend to show up to work with our eyes set on the potential of what could be if our situation was better. We are looking for the corner office or the raise, or we think, you know, how can I grow my power, my position, my, my platform? And for most of us, you know, in every workplace, there's always the lower job, the job that no one wants to do. The lower job, if you're in it, and some of you guys here I know from talking to you, you're in what you feel like is a low job. You're in something that you, you, you're not happy with. You want more for yourself. You know, you, you're like, this isn't what I dreamed of when I was a little kid. I didn't think I'd be doing this. And the lower job seems like this temporary prison that we need to break out of. Someone hands us a broom and we think, just you wait, someday I'll be the one handing out brooms to other people, not the one sweeping. Uh, it's, it's something that we all struggle with, this idea that we are somehow better than the lowest job. I've got that same tendency. I've got that same heart that looks at the low job and I say, no, I don't wanna do that because I've got better things to do. And all of us have dreams and visions for our life, every single one of us. And dreams and visions for the future are wonderful if they're from the Lord. But listen, if your dreams and visions keep you from serving the practical needs of other people around you, the reality is those dreams and visions are probably not coming from the Lord, they're probably just coming from you. Because God's dream and vision for us is that we would be like him. And did Jesus do big, crazy, world-shaking things? Absolutely. But did Jesus also serve the least of these? Did Jesus run to the lowest job in the room? Yes. And so Jesus wants us to be like him. The next thing to notice is that Jesus did what nobody expected him to do. Like, let's be honest, who should have been washing those feet, right? Like, the disciples, like Peter. <laughs> Peter, like here's a chance, Peter, to redeem yourself for all the dumb stuff that you've said throughout like the book and all the dumb stuff you've done. Um, you know, instead of jumping to serve, Peter in the story actually just makes things weird. Look at verse uh, six. 
Jesus came to Simon Peter, and Peter goes, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you don't realize now what I'm doing, Peter, but later you'll understand. And Peter says, no, 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 Lord, like, you should never wash my feet. That is just, you're Jesus, I'm Peter, that's weird, don't wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus answers, Peter, unless I wash you, you've got no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter makes it really awkward, and he's like, oh, Lord, uh, not just my feet, but like, wash my hands and my head, just, you know, sponge me down, Jesus. Like, let's go. <laughs> and, and Jesus is like, you know, Peter, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. The point is what I'm trying to make is that this is shocking. Like, Jesus is the Messiah, the King. How bad do you think the disciples felt? I'm sure when they got there, the smell of just 12 dudes who have been walking through the desert with these nasty, rancid feet, the smell is probably filling up the house, and they know somebody needs to wash the feet. But Jesus and his disciples aren't exactly rich. It's not like they've got servants following them around. So it's like, okay, there's no servant in the house. Someone has to do it. And I'm sure some of the disciples were like, well, obviously Peter should do it. He, did you see how he sank when he was walking on water? He's got to make up for it. Or, you know, James should do it. Or, you know, Thomas should do it. But I, I doubt he will. <laughs> Terrible joke, I know. That's what happens when you're a youth pastor for so many years is you just stock up on terrible jokes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Jesus gets up and he removes his outer garment. And, and do you think in that moment they're bummed? They're like, oh man, we blew it. Like it should have been one of us. Look, now Jesus has to do it. And they're probably, you know, like when at work or uh, just with your group of friends or even your parents at times, it's like when there's something you know that you were supposed to do and then you drop the ball and then the person has to do it for you. And just there's that attitude of like, ugh guess I got to do it. Like, I'm sure that's how they were feeling, that awkwardness. But what is Jesus's attitude? Is it, if none of you guys are do this, then I'm going to do it? No, Jesus rejoices in doing the thing that nobody expects for Jesus. It's like, it's like he's like the father who has the surprise gift, you know, in the garage, the, the bike that the kid wasn't expecting. And he delights in serving in this way. That's Jesus's heart is he delights to serve. We need this heart. Like we, this is one of the key things of discipleship is constantly looking at Jesus and saying, be my heart surgeon. Like do triage on my heart and make it more like you. Because our attitude so often to serving is not my job, not my problem, right? I don't know about you, but like that's my heart at times at my job. I'm so busy at my job. I wear like seven different hats for this organization I work for. And there's times where someone, there's like a problem and I want to be altruistic. I want to be a good person, but because I'm so busy, I'm like, mm, I'm not even gonna, not even gonna touch that, not my problem. That's our default. It's just, it's selfishness. You know, I used to have a terrible, terrible work ethic as a young man. I used to be at my church. Um, my, my dad was the pastor of my church. I used to be a, a janitor and a, a graphic and web design intern. And I would go up to this building I had to clean and I would vacuum and then I would just watch YouTube videos for hours. And I remember when I was the graphics intern, I was in this little storage closet. You know, the, that's what churches do when they don't have enough offices is they put the intern in the broom closet with a laptop. So, uh, or no, we didn't have laptops back then. It was like a, like just janky old desktop computer, like wedged between water buckets and brooms. And so I'm in there, you know, furiously typing away, making graphics. But then what would happen is when I was done making a graphic for whatever ministry needed, I'd be like, sweet. I made my graphic, I'm done for the day. And I would put my feet up on my desk and I would go on this website called allmusic.com and I would just read about the bands that I liked and I would read about their album reviews and their, you know, the new shows they had coming out. And one day my boss, Steve, comes in the room and catches me doing that. And man, I am so thankful for Steve because he, in a very kind and gentle way, snapped me back to reality and he said, hey, Aaron, like, did you know that everybody here on the church staff gets paid by tithes? 
And that means that like little old ladies in the church that are like, you know, struggling with their own finances, like they're donating to support the mission work that we're doing here at the church. And like, is this really a good use of their, their generosity for us to be sitting around, you know, reading about our favorite bands? And Steve was so gentle, but so firm with me. And it really like inspired me to go, man, if I'm working for the Lord, no matter what I'm doing, right? Because the Bible says, do all things that you do according to the Lord. I, I'm using his time and his resources and his money and the skills that he's given me. And there's a world that needs help and love and people with, with skill and, and people with kindness to give what they have. And yeah, it just, it woke me up and it, it changed my work ethic from that day. And I realized that I didn't want to be the guy who was lazy. I wanted to be the guy that did everything for the Lord. I remember one time I was uh, a youth ministry volunteer around the same time. And we were doing one of those classic youth ministry games. Any, anyone here, a youth ministry person, youth pastor, youth volunteer? Yeah? Oh, you guys are my people. I love it. Youth ministry is like, just my heart. Like, I'm so thankful that you guys here are serving in youth ministry. Uh, that's just, that's beautiful. So th I was doing the classic youth ministry game where you tie a donut to a string and then you like, no, you've never seen this? Yeah, I guess in the 90s it was a thing, but like, yeah. I remember, I, I remember you know what I'm talking about. I remember eating a Okay, yeah, yeah. So you, you tie a donut to a string, you got like 10 donuts and the kids come and they try to eat them. And at the end of the game, there's donut crumbs all over the ground. And I remember like looking at that as a youth leader and just being like, not my problem. And I went to go play with the kids, you know? <laughs> I went to go hang out with the kids. Cause then I was thinking like, oh, you know, that's why I'm here it's to serve the kids. But I wasn't like, I literally didn't have one thought of, you know, who's gonna clean up these donut remains. And then I remember I was probably about 17 at the time. I was a really young youth ministry volunteer for middle school. There was another guy named Brian Barrett who was older than me, probably like 23, 24. I really looked up to him. And I remember going out to where we had played the game and I saw Brian like just very quietly with a broom sweeping up the remains. And I just got so like guilt tripped because no, I know that no one asked him to do that. Like our youth pastor, Trevor, did not ask anyone to do that. Trevor was probably gonna do it himself afterwards, which now I know that I've been a youth pastor. It's hard, man. You're putting on these events for kids and you're coordinating and doing all these things and you got a wife and kid at home to get to, but then you're having to stay to the church till 11 o'clock at night to clean up after all these crazy psycho junior high kids, right? So I was seeing Brian in that moment just picking up a broom and doing the lowest job that no one expected him to do. And I just, it did something in my heart where I was like, that's the guy I wanna be. Like the kids will still be there to hang out with after the donuts are sweeped up, right? But it's all about that heart of Jesus to look and say, what is the lowest job? And how can I get in there and do it? Look at verse eight. Again, Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Why does Jesus say this? Is it because he hates being around people with smelly feet? No, it's because he's not some germaphobe obsessed with scrubbing the grime. He's not like passive aggressively cleaning his disciples' feet because no one else will. No, he's teaching them about humility. The reason he says this to Peter, Peter, unless you learn this lesson about humility, you're not gonna have the ability to be a part of what I'm doing. Like, unless you learn this lesson, unless you allow me to wash your feet and you learn from me and you absorb this into your bones, you're not gonna be able to fulfill your purpose in the kingdom of God. Peter was actually chosen by Jesus to lead the church after the death of Jesus. And Jesus knows what happens to leaders who aren't humble. And we see this all the time with just so many pastors who do not have humility and they just make everything about themselves and celebrity and then their ministries fall apart. They build towers to themselves, but eventually that tower falls, not only crushing the minister, but crushing the people who look up to the minister. Jesus wants us to reject that line of thinking and live lives of humility and service. Now here's another beautiful thing to look at. Jesus serves those who don't actually even deserve it. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered, he's responding to Peter. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. Though not every one of you is, 
Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. So what's he doing here? Jesus is kind of doing that thing where he kind of speaks in weird, vague riddles. You know, he's saying, oh, you know, people who need or people who have had baths don't need to be clean. And some of you here are clean, but not all of you. <laughs> and in that moment, what he's doing is he's alluding to the fact that he's about to be betrayed. Jesus knows in this moment that Judas is there and Judas is going to stab Jesus in the back with a kiss of betrayal in the garden. And it's one of those moments where it's like, have you guys seen, oh my gosh, I can't remember which Jesus movie it was. There's been a million, but I remember there was this one I saw with one of my best friends in high school. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but literally it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm just, I'm like laughing at how bizarre it is. Uh, but it, there, there's the scene, Blake, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's like they're at the last supper. And Jesus is like saying, one of you will betray me, right? And everyone's like, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And Jesus goes, no, it is the one who will dip the bread in the cup with me. You know, that's, that's standard Bible story. That's biblical. But then in the movie, Jesus dips the bread in the cup. And then he like takes the like soggy, you know, juiced up bread and then he turns to Judas and he starts like putting it in Judas's mouth and Judas, Judas is like leaning back like no and Jesus is like yes it's just like what is going on one of the most bizarre scenes I've seen so it's like is this what's going on like is Jesus doing these weird passive aggressive like dagger eyes at Judas across the table <laughs> one of you guys is a traitor you know like is that is that what's going on no like the crazy thing to remember in this story is that Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Who does that include? That includes Judas. Like when Judas betrays Jesus in the garden, what does Jesus say? Traitor! No, he says, friend. Friend, what brings you here? Friend, like there's still love. He has nothing but love even for those who would betray him. Imagine the moral courage it would take to wash the feet, to look in the eyes, the man that you know would betray you while you wash the grime from his feet. That is scandalous love. And it's the same love that kept Jesus hanging on the cross. Well, he, with foreknowledge, was most likely able to see every sin you and I would commit every slap in the face that we gave him, every person that gives the middle finger to God throughout history, every person that hated God, every person, every TikTok deconstructor who goes on social media to talk about just how Jesus is the, what's wrong with the world and Christians are as wrong with the world. Jesus hung on the cross thinking of those people, thinking of you and me and every sin that we've committed because of how much he loves us. That's the scandalous nature. The, the God who serves those who don't deserve it. Do you only love the people that you feel deserve your service? That's a big question to ask yourself. A lot of times we have in our mind sort of this reservation where we think like, yeah, I'll be kind to them, them, and them, but not them. They hurt my feelings. Not them. They, they were really disrespectful. Not them. They, they gossiped about me. They betrayed me. And yet Jesus has this mentality of serving those who just flat out don't deserve it, which really is all of us, like if you really think about it. But Jesus goes above and beyond. I, he taught me a lesson of this when I was doing youth ministry. I remember, uh, I don't know if you guys who do youth ministry get frustrated with kids. Anyone, let's just be honest. We're, we're all adults here. Anyone get frustrated with kids? Never. All right. <laughs> Glad we can be honest. So I got frustrated with a kid once. Uh, I was 17, volunteering in the middle school ministry. I loved volunteering. Like, and I really loved the relationships that I built with the kids. I loved mentoring, kind of being a big brother. Really enjoyed that. But I was not always patient with every kid. <laughs> there was this one kid at camp named Dana. And Dana was just a space cadet, just out there, crazy, goofy, which I am, you know, I'm, I'm crazy, I'm goofy, but he was really out there crazy and goofy. And 
And most of the time he was hilarious. Sometimes he, he would get on, he would frustrate me. And I remember there was this one time where it was the last night of camp. And I love praying with people. And the last night of camp, our tradition at our youth group was always the pastor would give the sermon. At the end of it, we'd have the band come up. And then the pastors, the youth pastors of the camp, would all come to the front of the stage and be available to pray for kids. And the kids could come up and pray. But the tradition was we would always tell the volunteers, hey, go stand in the back because there's always going to be those kids that are too embarrassed to walk up front. And we don't want them to be like missing out on prayer time. So go stand in the back and just be available to pray. And I love that because I always got to pray with kids and I just felt like God was using me and I was serving and my gifts were being used. And I felt like I was really good at like praying for people and kind of, you know, counseling them. So I, I was just always looking forward to that. So I, I'm there standing in the back, you know, hands out, just worshiping, ready to pray. And good old Dana comes up to me and he's like, hey, Aaron. And I'm thinking, oh, cool. I get to pray with Dana. And he goes, can you, can you take me to the infirmary? And I was like, buddy, really? And he goes, yeah, I have a headache. And I was like, okay, number one rule of camp in the mountains is if a kid has a headache, it's because they're dehydrated because they're not drinking enough water because <laughs> no junior high kid remembers to shower or drink water for some reason at camp. <laughs> it's like they're surviving completely off of like Coke and nerd ropes and just that's, <laughs> what, you know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> just Coke and nerd ropes, maybe Diet Coke and nerd ropes. And so I'm like thinking, okay, buddy, you just need some water. Go get some water. So I send him off. He goes and gets some water. 10 minutes later, he comes back. And like, I can see kids like coming towards me. I'm like, oh, sweet. I get to pray with these kids. I'm so ready. Like, I'm so willing to pray. And then Dana comes up, Aaron, can you take me to the infirmary? And I was like, the infirmary is like the, the nurse's hut, you know? And I'm, yeah, he just, he wants to go talk to the nurse. I don't, I don't know like how, like, what do you do? Do you get a Band-Aid on your head for a headache? Like, I don't, I don't know what she's gonna do. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, dude, you don't need to go to the infirmary. So I'm like, Dana, you're fine, buddy. It's gonna be okay. Well, Dana starts crying and he just starts breaking down, like just blubbering. <laughs> and I was just, I feel so bad. I'm like, oh man, I gotta help this kid out. So I take him. And we're walking towards the infirmary and the whole time he's just crying. And I'm like, man, I feel like such a messed up volunteer. You know, I should have just taken this kid to the infirmary. So I'm like, hey buddy, it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be okay. So we're walking across the bridge. We get halfway across the bridge. Dana all of a sudden turns the tears off like a faucet. And he looks at me and he goes, hey Aaron, did I tell you about the new Pokemon I found? And I'm just like, buddy, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> You were just weeping about your headache, and now we're talking about Pokemon. And like, in 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 my flesh, I was so frustrated, at Dana, because I was like, I was like, I'm supposed to be in there ministering to kids. And God, in that moment, spoke to me and goes, "You are ministering to kids right now." And I'm thinking, like, God, like, he doesn't deserve this attention from me. And God's like, "Oh no, he does." Like, what makes you think he doesn't? What makes you think? that you're just here to be Mr. Spiritual and just pray for people? What makes you think that you're above this lowly job of missing out on the prayer service to take this kid to the infirmary? Because right now what he needs is attention from an adult who cares about him enough to show him that he cares. And that just spoke to me so much. And I just realized how many times I have been Dana <laughs> to comparably to Jesus. Like so many times where I have been such a space cadet, so many times that I have been so just, just wandering from the Lord and, and, and lost in sin and giving into my desires and, and, and fickle and, and not focused on God, but focused on only my own interests and desires and emotional, irrationally and all those things. And yet God looks at me in those moments and he loves me with that fatherly love to suffer through my humanity in order to reach me. And that's the God that we serve. He loves people who don't deserve it and really what that means is he loves all of us. I, I love this quote from John Wesley. One of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God and since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him in our, in our neighbor. We are to serve him in our neighbor, which he receives as if done to himself in person, standing visibly before us. 
This is a beautiful concept. This idea of we're called to serve God. Can you get God a cup of water? How do you do that? Like, do you go and get a glass and set it on a mountaintop and then like wait for like a pillar of fire to absorb it? No, you, you can't get God a cup of water. <laughs> Some of you guys are nodding your heads like, yes, that's exactly what I do. You guys need to invite me to one of these uh, <laughs> absorbing a water bottle through a flamethrower sessions. But, but what I'm trying to say is you can't get God a cup of water. So what do you do? Jesus says, if you get a cup of water for a small child in need, in his name, you're doing it for him. This is why, for those of you guys who serve in any context in your life, this is why we always look for the opportunity to step into the lowest job. Because that's what Jesus does. And when we do it, we bless others. And it's probably not going to advance your career. It's probably not going to build your social media platform. And please don't be one of those people. Please don't become one of those people that is constantly doing good deeds, but then posting it on your Instagram. Because that actually is narcissism, if we're honest. And I've done this, so I'm being the first to admit it. But it's narcissism that says, I need attention. And what gets attention? Doing good things. Jesus is looking at what can we do that's undercover, unseen? What can we do that won't get us likes? What can we do that'll actually help build up the people around us? It might seem small, and yet it's for him. And so it's actually very big. Paul has a lot to say about Jesus's servanthood. In Philippians 2, he depicts Jesus as this high and humble king. Now, I've got the words on the screen, but I'm going to read a little bit before that. This is from Philippians 2. Paul says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind, do nothing, this is key, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And then he says this, in your relationship with others, this is verse five onward, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being found in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbles himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. This is so, this is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Jesus models for us that he doesn't use his position for his advantage. He's God. Like, you can't get a better position than that. I remember my, my cousin Anthony, who uh, tragically passed away in a car accident just a few years ago at a very young age. Um, beautiful person. Loved Jesus with all his heart. He's with Jesus now. I can't wait to see him again. But I think back to when he was really little and I'd babysit him. He was about 10 years younger than me. And I remember going to play with him when he was little. When I was probably, you know, 13, he's three or four. And we'd play with action figures and I'd have Batman, Superman, and he'd have the Joker. And, you know, we'd, we'd make them fight like kids do. But I would always, you know, as a superiorly minded adult, you know, as a 13 year old, I would always have these elaborate strategies of how Batman was going to win. And, you know, I'd say, oh, he's going to shoot the grappling hook and he's going to tie it around the Joker and zip him up to the tower and then dangle him and be like, I am vengeance, you know, and all that. And my cousin Tony would always say, force field, force field. That was just always his go-to. He just, he's, I don't know if his dad taught him, but he just knew about force field. So he would just say, nothing you do can make any effect because I have a force field. And therefore, Tony always won. Jesus was in the position to always win. Like, you can't crucify somebody in the heavenly realm. 
Like, you can't lose if you're the king of the universe, if you're the son of God. Like, you, you are in a position to always win, to always come ahead. You have infinite riches, as the genie says in Aladdin, phenomenal cosmic powers. Like, that's, that's his position. And yet Jesus chose to lose. He lost his position, his power, his invulnerability. He became a man who bled, who got sick, who felt pain, sadness, and sorrow. The most famous name in all of heaven and earth became a man with no reputation, which is so countercultural. Like in the world, the norm is use your position to get a better position. Struggle for power, step over others. This is even true in the Christian church realm. I used to work at a private Christian school. You would not believe some of the crazy politics that went into deciding which soprano got to sing the choir solo. Like the thing that our culture teaches us is crush your enemies. You're taught that from an early age. That's why when you play Super Mario, there is no button to hug a Goomba. There's only a button to jump ridiculously high and then crush the Goomba with your feet. That's the way of the world. But it's not the way of Jesus. And so it's important for all of you to understand whether you work at a church one day or not, every single one of you, and this is, this is a big thing I want to get into, every single person in this room is called to a life of ministry. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are called to a life of ministry. But so many of us, when we hear that term ministry, what we think of is we think, so being a pastor or a worship leader or a volunteer at my church, that's, that's, not, that's not what's serving Jesus. That's not what ministry actually looks like. It's a part of it. It's a part of it. But listen, statistically, 95% of Christians globally aren't members of the clergy. 95% of Christians globally are not pastors or worship leaders or anyone that will ever stand on a stage. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about you are all called to serve Jesus. What is ministry? Ministry is loving God and loving others. That's ministry. It's loving God and loving others. And Unfortunately, we've created this sort of ministry industrial complex that leads people like you to sit in the church and think, if I really want to serve God, I've got to become on staff at a church. And that's just not the case. Like, it is great that we have people on staff at churches. I've been on staff at a church. I was on staff for over a decade at a church. I loved it. I might go back on staff at a church one day. But that's not all that ministry is. It's loving God, loving others, and serving Jesus. Right now, my wife is in full-time ministry. And it looks like a little red-headed boy named Jack. And it looks like changing diapers. And it looks like breastfeeding. And it looks like late nights and stress and anxiety and struggle but she is doing it from a heart of this little baby boy is made in the image of God and he deserves love, he deserves care, he deserves a good childhood. It's beautiful. I love that heart that my wife has to serve in that way. Like I look at her ministry, I'm like, this is just as important, if not more important than the years I spent as a youth pastor because you are loving this child in the name of Jesus. For those of you guys that in your job, for those of you guys, your, your job that you hate, right? Some of you guys, it's ministry because you're representing Jesus and you have this opportunity to operate in a way that is vastly different from the rest of the world. Ministry is not about advancing our own agenda. It's about being where God has planted you and digging your roots deep down and asking, how can I bless Jesus and how can I bless others? Rooting yourself in service doesn't mean advancing your agenda, but always it means advancing the kingdom of God's agenda. It's repeating that constant refrain of John the Baptist, which is, I must decrease, he must increase. Now, I'm going to unplug my camera because the battery's running out, and maybe this port might work better. Let's go to some practical stuff. 
because I've talked a lot of theory. Let's go to practical. Ways followers of Jesus can serve. I hope this will be helpful for you. Um, If you guys don't have a chance to write all this down, if you go to the website, goodlion.school, I have all of the stuff, pretty much everything in this sermon I have uh, on that website, on the blog section, and I've got all of this stuff typed out for you, and I even have questions for you to reflect on over the next two weeks. So that'll give you a chance to like just pray through this stuff. But let's talk about this. Ways to serve Jesus. First, at home. Creating, and this, the, how, how many of you guys here are parents? Anybody? Awesome. Love it. How many of you guys live at home with your parents? How many of you guys live at home with siblings? Awesome. How many of you guys are married? Sweet. Okay, so this, this applies to everybody. At home, ways to follow Jesus. One, create a peaceful and loving home environment with your kids, with your siblings, with your parents. Do your part to create a peaceful, loving home environment, practicing forgiveness, kindness, patience with family members and guests. It's a way to show Christ's love in the home. Another one, uh, practicing hospitality, welcoming others into your home and sharing meals is such a great way to serve. Raising children in the faith. This is for some of you guys now and for other you guys it will be later. But teaching children about God and modeling Christ's love is one of the most important ways to serve God at home. And I should have put this on here, but I didn't, which is silly. But the, one of the most practical ways is just serving through literally acts of physical service, cleaning. I stunk at this growing up. I, growing up, my mom did everything for us, just everything. She cleaned everything. And it wasn't until I became a teenager where I realized how messed up that was. And now I'm regretting it because um, <clears throat> just in my own marriage, I realized my tendency to let my wife do everything, which is not healthy or good. <laughs> and so seriously, like you guys see dirty dishes in the sink and you think, oh, that's what my sister always does. And that's what my mom always does. Like, I know you guys are adults. Like this isn't a youth group thing. This is kind of a cliche youth group thing to say. But for our age, like for me, a 34-year-old man, I need to hear this. Serving Jesus sometimes looks like doing dishes when no one asks me to. Because my wife has had a really rough, hard day. And man, that blesses her. Now, this is an encouragement uh, to some of you ladies out here. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. The homemaker has the ultimate career. All other careers exist for one purpose only, and that is to support the ultimate career. I threw that in there just for some of you guys, because uh, for, for you wives and moms in here who uh, work at home, um, that's a beautiful expression. Um, now, here's another one. We already did that one. Next one, work. Serving Jesus at work. Work with excellence by giving one's best effort and using one's talents to the best of the ability is a way to honor God. Like, just doing things well. Like, how many of you guys, just be honest, and I'll raise my hand first, how many of you guys have ever done the bare minimum at your job? Anybody? Yeah. It's very common and very natural. But like some of you guys are in jobs right now where you just think this job is pointless. Like this is, this is just a dead end job. This is just some job that, you know, just no one actually wants. And it's just something that you do in between now before you go on to do what you really want, right? We've all had jobs like that. I used to work in a factory where I would pull a lever and packing peanuts would fall into a cardboard box. And that was just my entire day, just packing peanuts all day. <laughs> it was beautiful. Um, working with excellence and doing things well and going out of your way, where when you finish that thing that is the bare minimum, going to your boss and saying, hey, I just finished. Can I do anything else? Can I help you? Is there anything I can do? That kind of thing is so countercultural. To do that, not expecting a raise or anything in return, but just serving out of the heart of service, that is a way to honor God and distinguish yourself from other employees where your boss is going to be like, man, something's different about them. And it might even open up to gospel opportunities where you can share exactly what's different about you. <clears throat> Another one is show Christ's love to coworkers. Co- How many of you guys have ever had coworkers get on your nerves? Anybody? Yes. Okay. Showing forgiveness kindness and patience with coworkers, even when it's hard. Again, I'll raise my hand, how, including me. How many of you guys have been guilty of the trash talk about the coworker to the other coworker? Yes. Okay. So discipleship looks like just killing that mentality. 
and not letting yourself be a part of any gossip taking place in the workplace, but instead modeling what it looks like to be like Jesus washing the feet of Judas, who is literally about to stab him, (laughs) like betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Sharing the gospel at work. Sharing one's faith with a coworker and being a witness to the power of Christ's love is a way to bring others to salvation. And just so you guys know, this, I mean, I know some of you guys, it's not practical for you to like give an entire sermon, you know, in between delivering Amazon packages, right? Like that, that, that's not really on the table a lot of times. I literally know people that are pastors now and the way that they got saved was just someone said, hey, did you know Jesus loves you? And literally that's all it took. So don't doubt that God can use your simple act of obedience to share the gospel. And that's, that's scary in a post-modern, post-Christian world because a lot of us, if we're honest, we like to fly under the radar. Like we do not like people to know that we're Christians <laughs> because the culture thinks Christians are weird and we're just trying to fit in. But if you dare to be weird and if you dare to share with people the love of Christ because Really, it's silly that we don't. It's silly that I don't at times because I'm willing to talk to strangers. My wife will tell you, I will literally talk to strangers in lines for things about Star Wars. Like I will just start, like if I see a dude and I get a vibe where I'm like, this guy probably likes Obi-Wan Kenobi. I can tell. He's got, he's got a beard. He's wearing like a brown, you know, like Jedi robe colors. Like I bet this dude, I bet he watches Clone Wars, you know? And I'll just like be, I'll just launch into it. I'll just get into these conversations. Other people, it's, you know, CrossFit or whatever. If you're passionate about something, you will talk to strangers about it. And you will talk to coworkers about it. We literally have the cure for spiritual cancer that is killing the world. And yet we're so scared to talk about it. That's a whole lesson for another time. I'll save it. But just think on that a bit. Here's another one. Ways to follow Jesus and ways to serve Jesus in culture. Speak truth. Stand up for what's right and true, even when it's unpopular. It's a way to honor God and bring glory to his name. Now, I just want to speak on this really quick because I think people misinterpret this one. A lot of people interpret this as, I need to go on social media and just trash all the non-Christians and say that they're horrible and going to hell for their horrible beliefs. That's not what I'm talking about. I think standing up for truth, if you're going to stand up for truth, and you should, there's a lot of untruth in the culture, but if you're going to stand up for truth, make sure you stand up for the ultimate truth, which is that Jesus loves sinners, and he came to rescue and redeem sinners, and he died for sinners. So make sure if you're standing up for whatever political or social truth you want to talk about, make sure that that works its way in there as well, because that is the ultimate truth. Uh, Another one is be a light in the darkness. Showing Christ's love and mercy and kindness to those who are lost and hurting is a way to be a witness to the power of God's love in a broken world. I, I've talked to so many people who are on, like non-Christians, and there's just so much hurt that so many of them face. Like so many of them are struggling. There's that classic phrase, be kind, because everyone is going through a hard battle that you don't know. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but just think about your own life. How many of you guys are struggling right now? Like, how many of you guys are going through hard things? But you have hope. That's the difference. Like, every one of us is going through something hard. Statistically, at the age we're all at now, most of us have lost the rose-colored glasses on the world, and life is no longer sunshine and puppy dogs and rainbows. Like, a lot of us have had hard things that we've had to face in our life. Deaths of loved ones, people walking away from the Lord, our own personal internal sin struggles, betrayals, gossips, letdowns, crushed dreams. We're all carrying that stuff, but we have hope. Like we know that the end of the story is not our failed crushed dreams. We know that there's a new heaven and earth coming where Jesus rescues and renews and redeems. And so think about all the people out there who don't know Christ who are suffering and struggling, just like we are, but they don't have hope. And they think that when they die, they just go into the soil and become a tree or whatever. Like, that's bleak. That's hard. <laughs> that scared me. I thought someone was, like, up in the rafters. That was me. Oh, awesome. Here's another one. Engage with culture. Understand the culture around you and use it to connect with others and share the gospel as a way to bring others to salvation. 
start thinking of yourself as a missionary. Like, those are two words I want you guys to really absorb into your identity. Disciple, follower of Jesus, not just Christian, but actual follower of Jesus, and then missionary. You are planted in Yukon, in Mustang, in OKC. You are where you are specifically because God wants to use you as a missionary right now. Start thinking of yourself that way. And then understand the culture. Become a student of culture. If I go on a missions trip to Russia or New Zealand or wherever, I'm going to spend some time studying the culture to understand it, but I'm not going to let the culture change me. I'm gonna study the culture and understand what the culture believes and how the culture operates, but I'm not going to become the culture. That's, that's the dangerous thing. A lot of us, when we start to study culture, we then start to adapt and become like culture. And so if that's a struggle for you, I would say that's where the mentorship thing comes in. And that's one of the things we're gonna start doing with this discipleship group is we're gonna to try to work together with your churches to find older Christians that can mentor you guys and I think that's one of the best things you can have as you're trying to become a cultural missionary is you have someone to keep you accountable where you can meet with them and say, hey, I've been trying to get into the culture and help them, but here's the way that the culture, the temptations of the culture and the, the, the allures and the lusts of the culture are actually starting to tug on my heart. Can you pray for me to help me avoid going down that road? Here's another one. <clears throat> Ways to follow Jesus and serve in your city. Volunteer at a local charity. And this isn't for everybody. Like some of you guys, your volunteer work is going to be in the local church. Some of you guys, your volunteer work is really going to be directed at your family. Everyone's in a different season of life. But for some of you guys, volunteer at a local charity. Serve at a local charity like a food bank, a homeless shelter, a community center, the, the Big Brothers and Sisters program. These are ways to meet the needs of the less fortunate and show Christ's love. And what we do in this arena is we go into the culture. It's easy for us to just think of ways to serve us through the local church, but as Christians, we need Christians in the culture, in our cities doing these things, and then looking for those divine appointments to share the gospel with others. Engage in street evangelism. Some of you guys just did that today, right? Yeah, show of hands, how many of you guys are out there doing that? Well done, awesome, love that. So going into the streets and sharing the gospel with those who may not have heard it, it's fantastic. and. You guys are telling me today you got rejected quite a bit, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. You never know. You never know if those seeds that you've planted, what God will do with it. I had a guy literally like seven years after I shared the gospel with him, he called me and was like at his rock bottom, on drugs, like just drunk out of his mind, laying in a puddle of his own puke in his room. And he calls me and he's like, that thing that you said to me seven years ago finally made sense. Like, I have received Jesus. Like, do not get discouraged when you're rejected as you go and share the gospel because you have no idea what God can do with your obedience. Serve those in need, uh, such as the homeless, the hungry. We have such a big homeless situation going on in OKC. And what if God were calling some of you guys to get involved and see what you could do to make a difference? And finally, in the local church. Here's ways you can serve in your local church. One is just show up, just attend. <laughs> Attending church regularly is a way to worship God and connect with other believers. It encourages your pastors who like pour their lives out to serve you. Like it's so encouraging when people show up. Uh, serve in a ministry, such, such as hospitality or children's ministry, cleaning, administrative worship. Find a way to use your gift to serve others and don't make it about, I've got this gift, I've got this talent, I've got this ability, how can I get myself out in front of people on a stage? But rather just, how can I meet the need? Is there a need and is God calling me to step into it? Um, I would encourage you guys, if you've never done this, go to the pastors at your church, go to uh, Pastor Ken, Go to Christian Trainer. Go to Josh Laughter. Go to Blake and say, hey, what can I do? How can I help? What's going on? Like, how can I? And I, I'm, I'm literally saying, even if you're already like signed up as a youth ministry volunteer, and you might think I'm already serving, ask. Go to Matt and Kendra and say, how can we, how can we meet a need? Is there a need? 
How can we step up? Because I can tell you one thing, as somebody who did ministry for years and years and years in a local church, there is always a ton of need. And a lot of times us pastors don't want to ask people for help because we know everyone's got jobs and lives and things going on. And we think like, it's my burden. I'm on staff at the church. I need to do this. And a lot of pastors burn out statistically because they try to take all that load on themselves. But there's something so beautiful about when God stirs up our heart to say, hey, how can I help? And then you're talking to your pastor and the pastor's like, well, I've been praying for like a year that someone could maybe do this. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm really good at that. And you like, I could do that. That would actually give me joy to do that. Like, but we don't know until we ask. So I would encourage you guys, start asking. Another thing is pray for your leaders and encourage them. I think one of the transitions we make in the path of discipleship is we want to move from consumers to participants. A consumer shows up to church and says, how can I be blessed today? How can God speak to me? And that's an important thing. Like we need God to speak to us. Like, oh my gosh, my wife and I today showed up to church. It was a rough, gnarly week. You know, my parents were in town. That was beautiful. But my son was not sleeping well. We're tired. We're exhausted. There was definitely an element of us showing up to church thinking we need to be ministered to. That's healthy. And the sermon today blew our socks off. We had a great talk in the car. We felt refreshed. We got to see friends. So that's beautiful. Church does that. But your leaders need encouragement too. Ministry in the local church context is a very hard, lonely road where you constantly feel like you're pouring your life out on others, but you don't often feel like people are pouring into you. And that's really hard. And there is something just magical about when, when, when I was, uh, oh my gosh, this just happened at camp. Uh, I, had, I just taught like three messages at camp. Uh, I came up with you guys and, uh, you know, I was doing all the sermons. I was just tired. I was just going for it and preaching. And this little high school girl, or maybe even middle school, she was really young. She just, just the sweetest little thing comes up to me. She goes, Pastor Harry, can I pray for you? And I just was like, oh my gosh, yes. And I know that girl had never been to seminary and she had never preached from a stage, but her prayer was powerful because she was operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit that led her to come up and pray for me. And I'm just, I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about it right now because it's beautiful. Pray for your leaders, just as you appreciate when your leader calls you aside and says, hey, can I pray for you? Man, you do that for your leaders because we're the body of Christ and there's not a hierarchy where some people are the super Christians who pray and preach and serve and then everyone else is just consumer. No, we are brothers and sisters. We are sons and daughters. And we, we do these things together as the body of Christ. And also support your church financially. If you're able, if, if that's something that you feel called to do, uh, I think it's, it's essential. I think it's necessary because without money, a lot of churches can't do the things that they want to do. They can't pay the rent on their buildings. They can't pay their staff members. Um, I, I feel like a lot of times when churches talk about tithing, it's just so like they've got their script, you know, and they just kind of, go through their thing that they say every week about tithing, but no one actually gets into the practical side of it where it's like, yeah, if, if, if tithes don't come into churches, uh, they won't be able to function. <laughs> like the, they'll, they won't be able to pay rent. They, they can't pay their staff. Um, and there's tons of pastors out there that don't get paid and work bivocationally and bless them. Um, you know, I'm in that camp right now and it's hard, <laughs> but, uh, Man, support your church financially. It's huge. And some of you guys might get hung up on the 10% thing where it's like, oh, you know, tithing, 10%, and you're looking at your paycheck and 10% of that, and then your bills and your rent and all that stuff. And then sometimes I hear people talk about tithing, and they're like, well, actually, <laughs> biblically, uh, you start at 10%. That's just the start, but then you're supposed to get more and more generous from there. And it, it can just be so intimidating. And I would just encourage you guys, like, maybe you can't do 10%. Don't beat yourself up about it. Just what can you do? You know what I mean? Like, what, what can you do to help your church? Every little bit counts. Um, I've, got, I've got some, like, old ladies in my home church right now that donate, like, five bucks a month to the ministry that I do through all this. And God bless them. <laughs> like, it helps. <laughs> it really does. It, it's, it's beautiful when the body of Christ is willing to serve in that kind of way. 
So I just encourage you guys, don't get hung up on like some arbitrary number or percentage. Just pray and ask the Lord, what can I do to help? And then be generous. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. We hope this episode has encouraged and challenged you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Our goal and heart for the show is to always be pointing you to the God who is not safe, but who is very, very good. If you enjoyed this show, we would so appreciate it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. The more reviews we get, the more people are able to find the show. So please leave a review. It helps so much. The Good Line Podcast is produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins, and we are a part of CGN Media. For more great content, visit cgnmedia.org. For more from Good Lion Ministries, you can also find tons of podcasts, resources, courses, and more at our ministries website, goodlion.org. If you'd like to support the work that we do, please visit goodlion.org support. With your help, we can continue pointing people to Jesus and providing thought-provoking resources for the church. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this episode helped you on your journey of following Jesus. And until next time, keep your eyes fixed on him.